Hey, how's it going, Champagne Sharks? Hope everyone's doing well. Just wanted to uh, do some quick house cleaning, let people know. Go to ChampagneSharks.com and you get access to all the links related to Champagne Sharks. You can go there and find it all. And you can find where we are on social media, our products, all that stuff. Also, Patreon benefits, which includes Discord server, book club night, movie night discussions, show notes, newsletter, and most importantly, bonus episodes. So definitely become a patron for $5 a month at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. And without further ado, here is the episode. Take care. Hey, Champagne Sharks, how's everyone doing? Just a quick note, uh, we now do annual subscriptions as well. So even if you're already a patron, go to patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks. And if you upgrade to an annual subscription, you get a 10% discount. So definitely check that out. And without further ado, I wanted to go to our co-host for today, Vita. Hey, what's up? And how are you doing today? Man, I am doing all right. Drove like a maniac from South Central to North Hollywood trying to get over here because I just did not want to miss this topic. So <laughs> I'm actually excited. Yeah. And uh, for the for the record, um, that was my fault because I had been so busy with some personal stuff happening that I forgot to tell Vita that we had rescheduled for today. So I don't want it to reflect uh, bad on Vita. She's actually a trooper. She got up and hustled when she wasn't even uh informed about today's thing because of because of me so that was all that was all on me i do only reminded her last night and not reminded because you have to know something to be reminded <laughs> so <laughs> told her uh last night it's all so, good it yeah, happens yeah. it happens it yeah happens. so uh we have we have our guests and i will uh since we already heard his voice I'll, let me start with two black uh if you don't mind uh telling us uh who you are where you're where you're from and what you do um, yeah, so I go with the name Too Black, or y'all can just call me Black. Um, I'm a poet, spoken word poet, um, podcast host, researcher, um, organizer. I don't want to do the whole 30 million things on my list to make me sound like I'm more important than I am. Uh, but but yeah, so and we <clears throat> we host the uh, the Black Miss podcast. So just thanks for having us here today. Great, great. And uh, Ryan, if you don't mind introducing yourself and letting people know who you are. Hey, what's up? This is Ryan Mills, um, a co-host for the Black Men's Podcast. Um, I'm also a mentor and a director and producer of a youth-led LGBTQ podcast called um, Outcast by Monty Outreach. So got a couple things going on. That's it. So just to give people an idea of how this came about, we had uh, Mario had this idea as one of our other co-hosts. He had this idea about doing a podcast episode, Black History Myths. And, I, you know, it's popular myths. And the one that got him started was finding out that uh, the, the syphilis Tuskegee experiment, that they were not given actively syphilis by the doctors and nurses, but rather that they already had syphilis. And all along, he had uh, believed the myth that they were actively actively given given syphilis and he started wondering how many other um black myths are are, are there out there one of them uh he used as example was willie lynch letter that, w- that was another one and one that i was thinking about was uh the extent to which there were uh black wall streets and what black wall street uh, actually was because one thing that llc twitter likes to talk about is that um there were so many black wall streets and you know like they exaggerate the extent to which black capitalism was about to 
take over and you know different things like that and we had announced on air that uh hey guys keep an eye out uh we're gonna have a, a black mitts episode and Vita even had the idea why make it even one episode we could probably do a couple of them and then somebody uh dm'd me a listener of the show and it was like uh you guys know this already exists right <laughs> he sent us the link and i listened to it i was like oh wow even like some of the same uh things that we want to even use so i was like we should actually have those guys on and you guys have had a lot of the same guests that we've had on in fact like you've had dr cbs and jared ball and some people that we uh actually had in the pipeline to to come down so then that's when i made the uh, invitation for you guys to come down and talk and i wanted to know how you guys came up with uh the idea to to do this topic yeah the whole podcast is based on an on the premise, essentially what you laid out. So uh, there's like a short version and a long version of that story. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean- Feel free to do the long version if you want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, the long version is, I mean, way before this podcast, I, I used to um, I used to host a study group um, in Indianapolis um, years ago. And we didn't do- it wasn't based on debunking myths or anything, but when I would put together like the study guides and, you know, we try to take this real serious and everything, but when I would put out, put all that stuff together, I was always, always trying to find something new and kind of like break a traditionalist or mainstream understanding of black history. Like the group was based on that. So it was this understanding that black history didn't happen in a corner somewhere while the rest of the world was occurring. And I think that's often how black history is taught that black people were somewhere inventing things and struggling and singing songs. And then the rest of the world was occurring somewhere else. And that's not how life works. That's not how anything functions. So I wanted to understand it as a living history that fit within a, materialist understanding of it um so that's that's how kind of how we broke it down so that that just transitioned into what eventually becomes a podcast not cleanly like we didn't go from study group to podcast but like that was that's kind of the foundation work and then the myths the myth busting as some people like to call it we don't typically call it that or breaking down the myths is more so it's not <clears throat> i guess for me it's not necessarily um, again, we don't want to do it like it's trivia. So it's not just random facts. It's just more so understanding how we organize around certain ideas. And if you understand things as, as if you understand an idea <clears throat> as being something that is not, you often are trying to create a solution to solving a problem, but you're not going to be able to get to that solution because you don't understand that problem. So you're just going to end up right back where you are. Um, yeah, so, I think an important <clears throat> difference between what uh, we were planning to do and what you guys do is that uh, our idea was just to uh, specify, I mean, specialize in uh, black history for a couple episodes. But you guys just do black myths in general, which sometimes is history. But you guys also have health myths, um, sociological myths, and um, it's a it's impressively broad in the in the breadth of what you uh, cover. Yeah, I mean. <clears throat> Like we always just the tagline is like the bullshit said about black people. So anything that is said about us or by us, um, said by somebody in or outside of the group, we're we're looking to cover. But we do have certain rules. So we're not gonna just talk about any myth that black people might be talking about or that you hear. So if it's something that isn't quantifiable, we're not gonna talk about it. If it's something that's just an opinion, we're not gonna talk about it. If it doesn't have any real 
material impact on our lives. We're not going to talk about it. So like we um, I think we want to use the example if if you think Beyonce faked her pregnancy or something like we're not going to do an episode or not. Like that doesn't I don't one that's not true Two, it doesn't have any impact on anybody's life. But if you think that black people can't catch skin cancer, like that's a real problem. You know, you're going to do some shit that could potentially put you in harm's way. Doctors out here actually believing that black people have thicker skin and stuff like these are these have real material impacts on on black folks lives. So anything we cover, we're trying to understand how does that materially impact black people? Not just that's why that's why I mean by it's not just trivia. It's not just facts for the sake of facts. It's how do we understand this and fit it within our analysis of of the system that we're up against? Like that's that's kind of the ultimate project. I mean, Ryan could probably speak to it more, but that's 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 essentially how we come at it. Yeah, what I was about to say was um, if you look at our melanin episodes, the two melanin episodes, we repeat. I think it's kind of like an unofficial mantra, like myths can get you killed. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, we focus on the actual uh, consequences of believing in some of these myths, you know, like Black said. I really like the title of that episode, too. It says, uh, is melanin a superpower? And I like that you phrase <laughs> it that way, because a lot of people really do talk about it like it's a... Uh, it's a superpower or some or like unlocking some kind of uh, inner inner chakra or something. It's it's very yeah, yeah, metaphysical, yeah. the description of, of melanin in a lot of circles now. It's also one of the weird horseshoe things with um, so-called um, I hate using this phrase, this phrase, but it's the easiest way to evoke what I'm talking about. It's like so-called Hotep Twitter and uh, Black Excellence Twitter. That's the one thing, even though both sides kind of hate each other, is this um, magical thinking about melanin. It's one of the few things that they kind of have in common. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's... Per- Go ahead, Ryan. Well, I was about to say, in that kind of that Hotep, um, the thought, their Hotep take on melanin kind of influences the other side and their take on melanin. Um, that's one of the... Uh, I think when... We did the melanin episode. Um, one of the things I mentioned, like you know, the black girl magic, the the um, melanin magic, everything, you know, the kind of just comes from that idea, the whole tip idea of like melanin does this and that gives you superpowers. So yeah, third eye, p- pineal gland, all types. Yeah, all yeah, that stuff. yeah, and I think. Um... I've I've been wanting to do an episode on the hotel thing because I think even that gets misunderstood. Uh, not that there's not people that represent what we often understand to be that, but I think to kind of I'm gonna bring this back to the melanin thing. But I think uh, the the term becomes so broad uh, that a lot of folks don't even realize they're doing the very things that they claim they're making fun of. That's why I just always find it funny. So so people cl- think Hotep is usually like this this kind of sexist, uh, reactionary black nationalist male. That's that's kind of the stereotype of it. But there's a lot of like reactionary nationalism um, across <clears throat> across all different camps uh, within the diaspora. So there's all kinds of people that have bought into these kind of like race essentialist narratives or push race science. And that's in the intersectional camps, that's in the black excellence camps, that's in the so-called OTEP camps. This idea that black people have some magical powers or something and you know, that's that's professed all across the board. I don't think that actually belongs to any particular sector. I think the whole tips are the ones that are are imprinted with that, but everybody has it. So the melanin thing, <clears throat> I mean, people that wear shirts like melanin pop in and all that. And I know everybody doesn't take it that seriously. So I don't want to make this sound too like literal. Like I know some people are just like proud of their skin tone and that's it. Like I don't want to make it seem like everybody's 
actually believes that they have superpowers. I would hope not. Uh, but but there is a there is this kind of this implied idea that uh you know melanin has something special to it. Um, but so we. I have go a ahead. question about that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna because I, I hear that, and at the same time, I also think though, like it's kind of like religion, I guess, for people. Like, I'm not a religious person at all, so I've learned to listen to people who have certain religious perspectives, and instead of even listening to what they're saying literally, I listen to more so what it does for them. So, like, yeah, scientifically speaking, literally speaking, it's probably you know it's nothing, it's bullshit. But I think sometimes people use that, like they use religion as a way to motivate themselves so yeah maybe it's not real but i don't know how literal most people actually take it versus using it to motivate themselves well i do right. know some people do think they're more resistant to skin cancer than they well, are that i know well that's different yeah, yeah, that yeah I but know. Yeah. i do think in some ways one kind of helps inform the other and i'm gonna be fully uh, transparent uh, i was one of those people until like uh two or three years ago i'm gonna be fully transparent with that like i really thought like um my, my wife was trying to tell me to use sunscreen and i was like i don't really need sunscreen <laughs> and she's like are you serious and then i had to look it up and i was like oh wow okay yeah i thought that too until i had my first sunburn <laughs> and i was <laughs> fucked up yeah yeah i think all i think all black people Again, that's just part of the culture. Uh, to go back to Davida's point, yeah, I think we kind of dealt with that on the episode, and, and we find with all myths or most myths that there is. We we said this explicitly on the Willie Lynch episode, but I think this applies to a lot of a lot of the stuff. There's a there's the myth of the facts, and then there's the myth of the sentiment. So there's the sentiment is kind of right. what you're getting at with the religious part, and I think that's really what I what, what I know I've learned as we've done this show is that's really where the conversation has to go because it's not, if it was just about facts, a lot of this stuff wouldn't even require an episode. Um, it's something, <laughs> it's something else that is driving people um, that we try to talk about. And then it's not always, <clears throat> and even in that episode, <clears throat> it's not always, it's not about judging folks for believing this. That's why I said, again, it's not about trivia and all of that. Like, Oh, we're smarter than you. Cause you didn't know like that. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, that's, we, uh, we try not to be that show. Like, I don't want to be that show. Uh, but just, so we talked about how with, with melanin, we, cause we talked about a uh, Francis quest. Well, I don't know if y'all are familiar with her work. Oh, um, yeah. papers. I, yeah. Isis papers. Yeah, so that book pushes a lot of myths about melanin, particularly. I mean, and her whole, her whole premise is essentially that white folks are jealous that they don't have melanin, and that's why all of the white supremacy shit has happened because of that. I don't agree with that, but that's her. That's essentially her premise. That's kind of oversimplified, but that's the whole crest theory of race of color confrontation or something of that nature. But you know, somebody who's no longer with us said on said on that episode, and I think she had a great point that. When somebody comes and tells a, a group of oppressed people that who have been told to hate themselves and that their skin is terrible, that actually all these white people are just jealous of you and your skin tone is, is godly and it's amazing and everybody wants it and it's the you are the original people like that that has a real strong appeal and you can't dismiss that as oh these are just stupid people or black folks are just dumb like that has a real appeal and I understand why it has that so every myth in a way has those type of appeals like some myths that are, that aren't created by black people that we know are bullshit like you know we just reject those things but even then something like melanin on one side you get this 
this race science of, oh, we're powerful, we have strong melanin, you know, we're, we, the sun can't hurt us, black people are beautiful. But then on the other hand, on the flip side of that same um, sentiment is a doctor that doesn't think you can feel pain. It's a doctor who who doesn't who who thinks you have thicker skin, you know. So it's like you never can have these these superiority myths on one side, and I think it's going to come back to bite you on the other side, particularly when you're black folks who don't control any any real power in in this country or around the world. Yeah, I hear that a lot. When like what you're reminding me of is the conversation around suicide, and that like black people don't commit suicide as white people because they're weak and we're mm-hmm. so strong. Look at what all the shit we've been through, and we don't kill ourselves. And that's like the craziest myth. But I've heard that pretty much all my life. Yeah, yeah, and it and it it really has you out here thinking that black people are strong, even the whole you know uh, strong black women or whatever that on one hand that's that seems like it's resilient and you 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 push through things but then on the other hand it's the same logic is used to assume black women you know don't feel pain as as mothers right like it's the same the same logic is used on one side to justify the other so that's why i think it's dangerous to buy into those things because there are there there's a short-term gain to it um but it's dangerous when you spread that idea because it can come back and bite you. Two things that I wanted to uh, comment on that you said. One was uh, about how a lot of the ideas that um, get ascribed to uh, so-called Hotep uh, Twitter. I just feel weird using that term because I have I one say old school. What's that? You say fo- I say Fotep. Yeah, that's, that's a good way to put it as well. But I think there's something. I say the art right. The uh, the yeah. right the onk right that's onk the, right the onk right yeah <laughs> yeah because yeah, yeah it's it's funny because there's a old kind of classical version of Hotep that I think of like Greg Carr from Howard University when he calls himself Hotep that's very different than this kind of overly broad version that gets used by like the Black Excellence crowd to just call huge swaths of yeah so so let's say like you know the onk right types I think that's a good that's a good way to put it or the Foteps is uh, I remember the Black Excellence crowd always make fun of them for you know effectively doing african cosplay and stuff like that and then when the black panther movie came out uh they were all putting on twitter and instagram and social media going to the theater dressed up in african attire and doing african dances and basically doing the whole we was kings thing that they make fun of uh uh the Ankh Rider or Hotep Twitter for for doing, which I found like very ironic. That, but that's yeah, just that's one true. example. That's yeah, one that's, example of what. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like they, was talking about. Yeah, yeah. They they um people apply this term, but I'm just I'm saying like there's a lot of reactionary nationalism for those who don't. I guess to clarify that term, like that's that's people who are, in, the, in the back in the day they used to call them pork chop nationalists. Uh, that's what the Panthers would call these people. Like they were just, and they, this is probably even worse than that because they're not even. What's, what is pork chop nationalism? <laughs> pork chop that's a nationalism, great term, by the way. I heard a pork chop preacher, but never pork yeah, chop yeah. nationalism. Yeah, pork chop nationalism was just the. I mean, you were talking earlier about the raggedy black expos. It's just like a raggedy form of black nationalism. Like it's someone who gives. It's a narrow view of it where black people are, you know, superior to everybody and you just kind of, you wear your African garb and you, um, you, you celebrate Kwanzaa every four years. Like you're not doing anything serious for black folks and you, and you, and you have a very narrow view on the type of black people you want to represent. So that's why we t- call them reactionaries because they're the types that are like, oh, 
LGBT black people or, you know, they're not black because they're not producing children or something, right? Like, they're not good for black folks or, or uh, right. black women who are, um, you know, independent in any form. Like, you know, that's not the way the house, you know, like, that's, that's very reactionary. Like, so it's, right, so right. that's also what we would call, like, pork chop nationalism in the sense of, you know, it's just, it's fat. It's, it's you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's bad for you, you know. Um, right. So, but I'm saying a lot of the people that are, pushing back on the quote-unquote hotep have some of the same tendencies. That's why I just find it funny. You know, like, it's not much difference between people. Because if you're if you're a race essentialist, as in you think that race is, like, basically a scientific thing, or you or you, or you talk about it in that sense, um, no matter what camp you come from, then that, for me, that would be a problem. Like, if you think that race is, like, a biological thing, and people talk about it in that way. If you talk about gender in, a, in the same sense, that's reactionary. Like, if you like, but people do this all the time in these black excellence camps and the intersectional camps and the quote unquote hotep camps and even in some of the you know the black left political camps. Like I hear this all the time, so I don't think people are being very self reflective uh, when they want to just make it seem like one camp is this way and they're they're not. Because I think this just permeates throughout not just black culture but just the whole American ethos. I have a question. So, do you think that these camps? And the people who tend to be at the forefront of them, constructed by the people who are at the forefront, or like, are like, are they egging on some of these movements? Because I, I, what I mean by that is, each of the groups that you just mentioned all have clear uh, opportunists and grifters that we could probably mm. even name, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Each in each of those camps, you're finding that a lot of the movements in in that camp is based off of what is said the people who are the biggest opportunists right right? so are those movements being uh shaped by those opportunists or are the people in those movements shaping it and then following the people that are going along with it or the people that they feel um confirm what they already believe can you repeat that last part of the question i I heard it but i just want to make sure i think on that a little bit more yeah i kind of messed it up but so are the people who are at the opportunists at the forefront of the movement, are they shaping those movements or are the people in those movements just um, buying into the people that seem to confirm their already held beliefs? So it's like, okay, this person is saying the things that I already felt within this group and now let's just keep supporting them or the people who are the opportunists actually shaping what's going on in the movement. It's probably an interaction of both. I would also question whether these things are actually movements. Uh, <laughs> but like, well, I'm using the word movement loosely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm talking about like within the camp, they see it as their movement. Right, thing. right, 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 right. I, I, um, I think it's a bit of both, but I think, I think, um, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think on it. There's a million ways to go with this. I think it's more. I think it's more that um, people are finding some type of home with what these people are saying. Like I, it would be easy to just blame it on the grifters, but I have to give. I have to give credit, or you know, I guess the give people the freedom to make their own choices, and these are choices that people are making. But I think it's anytime you get caught up in an echo chamber, the person at the top shapes the way people think in a sense of if I go against them, then I no longer belong to this group. So it's kind of incentivized that I agree with whatever they say, even if I have almost like cult culture, yeah, like a cult dynamic. Yeah. Cause, cause, um, in our episode, um, the myth of trickle down blackness, um, we talked about how agenda setting happens in certain groups or how ideologies get formed. And it's not that everybody always believes the ideology that we might think they believe from the outside looking in is that there are certain incentives um, that exist within that culture 
or within those circles where if I don't agree with this, then I'm I'm not really going to, you know, like there's consequences for that. Right. So if I've talked to people, I mean, in all these different groups, like I've talked to um, black feminists privately who will acknowledge that, you know, there are times where there there is real harm that men do occur, encourage, particularly black men incur from black women. And, it, and it's OK to talk about that without it being, again, reactionary in the sense where we're only bringing that up to bash black women. But there are actual like real abuse that happens. But you're not going to hear about that in when it's a collective conversation on Twitter or something, because that might make them seem like they're a pick me. So they're not going to bring that up, even if you're talking to them privately. Right. Like I've I've right. I've talked to um, ADOS people who are like, man, I just want I just want reparations. I don't hate Africans. But but on but on Twitter, <laughs> that's not how it comes <laughs> off. Right. Like, you, you know, like so right. when it's in a collective conversation, you have to take that role or on Clubhouse or wherever these people are. Like, so I'm saying, I think people in their silent moments have, not all of them, some of them are brainless and clearly gone, but I think some of them have real thoughts about um, their particular group dynamic or who they belong to. But it's tough to, to speak out because the way that their cultures are set up. And I just think this is more a byproduct of America. I don't blame the, the these little silos if it's this consistent across the board. Because um, America operates in a very cult-like way anyway. So... Um, I was going to say, we pretty, we kind of work in these binaries yeah. in general, yeah. though, right? Like, if you... So it's like, if you talk about something, if it sounds like it's similar to what my enemy or the people I've deemed as my enemies to be, then you must be one of the enemies. Right. And I always find that to be interesting in a lot of these topics, because like what you just pointed out, every time you bring up, um, the ways in which let's say black mothers have abused black boys, it's not a react. It doesn't have to be a reaction to, to, uh, what divestors might be saying about black men. Right. right. So it's not like, so, that, that, so just because I point out like, well, you know, black mothers have done harm to black children. If you say that, then it's like, oh, you must be a pygmy as opposed to saying, oh, wow, we should definitely be looking out for black children as well. Right, right. It's not seen as a both and. It's like, well, you must be an enemy because you're not taking. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I, I find that, a, again, I don't want to pick on black feminists. I was just an example. I think this happens everywhere. Um, and I, I find it dangerous, even in the kind of like black Marxist left world where I'm at, like I see that sometimes where, you know, we 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 dunk on black liberals all day and I'm all for that. Don't get it twisted. But sometimes it's like if you even if you're like, I want to vote, like, I mean, some people do this. I don't think everyone does this, but there are some spaces I want to clarify. So nobody inboxes me after this show. Um but there are some spaces where if somebody says they agree with voting, even if it's just as a strategic plan, you know, and you're just like a cornflake liberal all of a sudden, it's like, no, nah, maybe this person is in a local position where voting is 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 going to help their community. They still don't believe in electoral politics as a general concept to freedom. Like, no, nah, but sometimes you, you do things. And when you talk to the more serious people in that camp, they don't disagree with that at all. But there are people who are kind of on the fringes of it, that if you do anything that's out, not in step with the group, then there's this, there's this consequence that comes down on you. Um, and I, I just think that that's dangerous because, you know, black folks, particularly for black people, like, you know, we don't have we don't we don't have much going for us already. We don't need to be divided on dumb shit like this. Like I, I just that's exactly. you know I, I just don't think it's it's worth it. Uh, the other thing that I was thinking about 
um, that you said, well, I was saying there were, there were uh, two things you mentioned that I wanted to touch on was the Francis Quest Welsing thing is is interesting to me because I, this is like a weird comparison. Like I like Francis Quest Wilson, but I also kind of think of a lot of what she talks about as kind of like Pizzagate. And what I, what I mean by that is uh, Pizzagate technically is um, wrong. Like there's not a comet pizza and there's not this weird type of um, code for, you know, pedophilia by elites and these orbs or whatever kind of things they believe. But when you see the Jeffrey Epstein thing that happened, you kind of realize, okay, Pizzagate was wrong and fanciful and doing some type of magical thinking on the details, but they were kind of tapping into some real energy that was out there. But because there was no way to actually see the mechanics of what was going on fully, uh, they've come up with this kind of unique creation myth around it. So, you know, it's not to valorize, you know, Pizzagate and say, oh, these guys were doing good work. Like, no, they, the work was all, yeah, but they were tapping into something. And I feel that way about Francis Crest Wilson. Like, I don't believe uh, that black is a dominant uh, gene over over white like that's not how the genetics work but i do think she's tapping into some kind of belief that white people have about um you know a fear of a black planet and the type of um i mean the whole white genocide thing really is not that different than the idea of white genetic an- annihilation so i always feel weird in how to examine uh francis crest wilson because i think she has a type of she's tapping into some kind of energy that's real but if you take it literally the same way if someone took pizzagate literally it's not uh a constructive thing to believe in a hundred percent literal literal way yeah go ahead ryan go ahead well i was gonna say with a lot of our myths i think black already kind of touched on this a lot of our myths i mean they come from real concerns like you just mentioned right but you know what it boils down to is the conclusion you know and the steps that take to get to that conclusion is where we find issues with um so that to to your yeah to your point about the pizza gate yeah so they're tapping into a real genuine general genuine concern but the conclusion you know <laughs> like there's a there's a pedophile ring in these in this pizza place and it's run by uh democrats and liberals and stuff and yeah that's a that's a that's the problematic part of that you know well, I mean, the, the pizza, yeah, pizza gates particularly, but those people do have a pedophile ring. Yeah. <laughs> so, what are we? So, what is the actual conclusion? Is like, yeah, yeah, pizza gate itself is in in the literal sense wasn't a real thing, but those weirdos do have a pedophile ring, and it's a, and it really exists. Yeah, I, I think it's the it, for me is on on Welsing or. Um... You know, or even the Pizza Gate, or a lot of these conspiracies out here. I'm not. I mean, I. You know, I used to believe in a lot of conspiracies. That's partially how I can, you know, empathize with people on these things and not be, and hopefully not come off too judgmental because I understand how we get caught up on that because there is there is a semblance of truth in a <clears throat> in a sense that like like it's been said several times. It's not literal, right? Like it's not the story that's being told is not the truth um and i think if you if that's why i think we have full conversations versus if we were just doing episodes on the facts again fact myth of fact and myth of sentiment like we were just doing episodes on facts i mean like the willie lynch letter we you know that's that's really 10 minutes and we're done like there's nothing else to really talk about if it's just facts um 
if we're talking about melanin, that's five minutes, you know, like it doesn't. So, so there's a whole other side of it that people are buying into. Like, yeah, okay, maybe the Williams letter wasn't real, but what they said in the letter, blah, blah, blah. Or yeah, okay, maybe melanin isn't a superpower, but white people do be jealous of black people. Like, yeah, that, and it's like, I don't, I don't disagree with, with, um, well, I kind of disagree with the Willie Lynch point. I don't think that letter had much of anything good, but with Francis West Welsing, yeah, it's like, there is a fear of a black planet. There is a, there is a sense of white genocide and all of that. I think the problem for me is, um, the process that gets explained. So we, it's, it's Mm. important that we don't understand racism as, as something where white people, which is an idea that was created. That is not an actual thing that most human beings believed in for most of the time we've been here. So this idea that white people looked around the world and were scared that all the brown people were going to impregnate them and they weren't going to be able to run the planet anymore. That's just not what happened. So we don't understand history if that's how we look back on it, if we if we take that theory on its face. So when we see something like white genocide, that 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 outrage or that claim or fear of a black planet, we see it as solely if we take it at its face as oh, they just don't want to. They just want to eliminate us because of skin. And it's like skin. We talked about that specifically on that episode, like the differences between skin and race and how we equate the two. And it's not the same thing. Um, so if you read a book like uh, Racecraft by uh, Barbara and Karen Fields, they talk specifically about how race has this almost witchcraft effect where we just assume a certain magic to it like we do with witchcraft. Um, but it's not really about skin. So something like they say in the book where we say something with segregation, like uh, we were segregated against because of the color of our skin. Your skin doesn't do anything. Your skin is, is you know, neutral. Your skin doesn't act. Your skin doesn't hang people from trees. Your skin doesn't do anything. So you're not segregated against because of the color of your skin. You're segregated against because somebody needs you to hang from that tree so they can maintain power, right? Like that's what that's about. And whiteness and race is a justification to do that. So when white people are like, see, I love that. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Now, see, I love that way that you explain that. I thought that was really excellent because that kind of makes it so one, you don't sound like you're judging, which is wonderful, but also you're clarifying what the truth is. And that to me is the most important part because the part that I have a problem with, you know, with the myths and then the wrapping it up in some of the truths is that why not just give us the truths? Cause the truths are just as gruesome, if not worse sometimes, <laughs> if, if your goal is like really, you know, drive a point home like there's actual things that exist that we can actually pull from that you don't you don't need a willie lynch letter there's all these other documents that actually really exist written by thomas jefferson we can right and to, they're usually you know? worse so i always say even with this white people thing and, and you know because with the melanin thing another issue for me is or just the whole skin thing and the whole like white people are melanin deficient and that makes them evil or that you know this is the scientific claims or it makes them crazy or or whatever. Um, <clears throat> you know, for me, that's letting people off the hook. Because if you have that, that's a disability, then right? Like that's literally if you are white and you somehow can't receive certain signals because of your skin tone, that's a disability and therefore justifies your behavior. If I just see you as another human being who chose to do these things, that's much worse <laughs> for me. Um, that's much more quote unquote right. devilish than somebody who's doing this because they can't help themselves. Like, so I don't I don't like to give people those type of um, excuses. Right. Like the white folks, they, that's just white people because, you know, they don't have their their, uh, 
you know, what what's some of the shit people say? Uh, their their um, um, hippocampus is off, or their pineal gland is too small. Like all of that's a justification. Like if I'm doing mean things to you, and you're like, well, too black is, you know, he doesn't have it all the way there. Then really, there should be more empathy towards it because clearly, I don't have what you have to to be a better person. But if I and if we're the same mm-hmm. people, and I'm still choosing to put people in cages, I'm still choosing to hang people from trees, I'm still choosing to enslave people, and I have just as much human capability as the next person, then that actually says more about me, right? Like that's much more damning. Um, so that's why I think you it's important to demystify these things. Um, because we think we're believing in like the worst version of something when often, like you, like you said, Vita, we're actually missing more important facts. Um, and we're almost in a weird way. We're watering down the actual truth by thinking that these conspiracies or these mm-hmm. kind of like middle of the road explanations give us a understanding of things. You know, I was also thinking about something T was proud of or before about the, um, myths about the you know uh, all these black wall streets and i think the other the, the part about that is exciting is that you never learned it like you never about any of them right so there's also this excitement to where it's like okay we never heard of any of these things and now i'm hearing about it and then it becomes sort of this exaggeration when to me if you actually knew the truth about some of these towns how they started how they grew what some of the divisions were you could actually probably learn a lot more about what cause some of the destruction or where things got, you know, fucked up at, or where we could re-strategize, do something different. Maybe the capitalist approach isn't the best approach. You know what I mean? Like if we just actually look at the truth versus exaggerating the parts that get us so excited or the parts that um, seem to confirm beliefs that we already have, like, or just something that seems to make sense to us because it's quick. Like it's quick and easy to say, well, white people are just these foreign aliens who want to destroy the planet. You know, that's quick and easy versus tr- having a much more complex, in-depth look of, at us at a more of a sociological um, perspective. Yeah, and if you don't, if you don't understand it, that's why that's why it's important to explain that process. Because if we don't understand it that way, like I said at the beginning, our solutions to these things are often extremely flawed, um, you know, and it, it will teach somebody that capitalism is just the exact way they should do it. Now, you can believe that capitalism works. I, don't, I would disagree with you, but you can believe that capitalism works, but you should at least arrive to that position by understanding that there are other things out there. But if you don't even understand that, right. but you're just like Black Wall Street, they burned it down. Let's just do it again. Like you clearly didn't study, man. Like I don't, I don't know what you was doing. Like because it's just like you know, you don't even understand why something like that existed. Like again, like I think we, I don't, I think we said this before we turned on recording, but when we were talking about black events and stuff, but Black Wall Street existed because segregation existed, um, and segregation existed because racial capitalism or white supremacy existed. So segregation was required in a sense where black people had no other way to turn. So yes, they spent amongst themselves and so on and so forth. But one thing they did not have was a military. And that's something that America does have. So when they go to their separate communities and try to spend amongst each other, they were still destroyed and wiped off the map because they could not protect themselves. Um, Capitalism is not fixing that. Uh, so that's you know. a really that's a really good point that also doesn't turn away or completely dismiss the perspective that someone might have. You know what right. I mean? Like that's a really great great way to explain that. Yeah, I, I saw a, a tweet. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying. I think just what we do with the show is we try to genuinely study 
um, the history and and the, and when you when you when you genuinely study these things and by and by no we're not by no means historians or anything like that but I think by studying something you always find there's all these other pieces laying around and it's not this again the way Black history is given to us as this flashcard trivia of just a random fact with no context that's depoliticizing like we don't understand that everything is happening all at once so Black Wall Street happens because there is hist- his historical ways to explain how that occurs. And that's with any other point in in time, right? So it's not just Black people were just doing something and nothing else was happening. Like, nah, like, <laughs> that's not, that's, that's not, um, that's just never how anything has ever worked. And I just find it interesting that, that that is how we've been taught to understand things. I don't blame us for it, but I think that's what we're trying to, like, really break up. It's like, no, you have to understand history as an active functioning body with a million different parts happening at once not not a silo yeah yeah i saw this um tweet on twitter which on its own doesn't mean anything because anybody could say um anything but this one was getting a lot of retweets and positive responses which is what to me made it noteworthy it wasn't just like one isolated um kook but this person was saying yeah you know none of y'all can name a single thing that the civil rights generation or civil rights movement um did because we were on the verge of um you know, taking over with, you know, Black Wall Street, et cetera. And and they derailed, they derailed um, all that because they were so eager to assimilate and get uh, alongside um, white people. And a lot of people were like, yeah, preach it. You're, You're on. And there was two, I think, real main problems among other problems it wasn't just two but i mean these are the two biggest ones that stuck out to me was the overestimation of um you know the extent of what black capitalism was doing like i think it's important to know about black wall street and realize that black people were able to you know form things like that but not to exaggerate what the extent of what it a was and b what it could uh, do but then the other thing I find interesting was the eagerness to blame other black people for things when it's like okay yeah. it is not civil rights generation that is or civil rights movement that is destroying like I think in a way you're letting white people off the hook a lot by saying yep. uh, it's you know it's that oh we are our own worst enemies type of yeah. Uh, yeah. thing that people <laughs> love to get into yeah I, I yeah we try not to do that either right like I can understand, even if I completely disagree with, with black people on something, I, I, I tr- we try not to just take it to, you know, you stupid niggas. Like, I, you know, that like we have enough of those shows. Like, no one needs any more of those. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I, I've noticed that people with, um, from, f- who have, who try to take a fake militant position that they're, when they say things like, oh, all y'all wanted to do was sit next to white people. They might have listened to like a minute excerpt from a Malcolm X speech. Think they know something, you know, So, but they don't. Again, did I think what we come back to is people are not studying because there's no way you can study, in my opinion, and come to these conclusions. Even if you, again, stand by the fact, that, like, like I said earlier, that you still believe capitalism works, you would have a much better, firmer understanding and way of explaining that. It wouldn't be these kind of like cheap black well. Well, black folks just wanted to sit next to white folks. Like, no, nah, I mean, this was a this this was a debate back then. Like, you can so go read what they said. <laughs> like, people were having these debates back then about desegregation. I was just 
we just did a show. Uh, it was it was a local. It was based on a local myth, but we were talking about busing and how the there was a debate about busing. If you go back to the um, the convention, the the National Black Convention in 1972 that was held in Gary, Indiana, one of the biggest issues, and it was this was a meeting of of black nationalists, black capitalists, black socialists. Black conservatives all met in this in this one event to try to come up with a national black agenda. And one of the biggest debates was busing. And, you know, some of them didn't believe in busing at all. Some of them believed that we should try it for momentary purposes and then we should move on. Um, and I'm using busing as a as kind of a proxy for integration. Like these are things that people debated back then. Right. So it's always funny to me when people bring these things up as if black people didn't have these discussions until you got on Twitter. Right. Like black people never had like real dynamic debates about what should we do and what shouldn't we do? What works? What doesn't work? Like black people never had these discussions. It was just all this, you know, all these niggas just want to sit next to white people. Like, no, there's a there's a legitimate argument for integration, whether I agree with it or not. There's a legitimate argument for um, trying to gain the resources that exist when you live within a society versus being segregated from it. Um, there's a there's an argument that trying to get the resources was the point, not just sitting next to white people. But there was a consequence of that. There were black people who did think that white folks should smell better and that they if they got around white people that things would be better for them because they were around white folks like Malcolm X talked about this this is again this is nuanced and there's a lot of different perspectives on it but what ends up happening because folks don't study is they just take a singular narrative and then they run with that and then we get these binaries like we were talking about with these groups where it's just okay we're the real black folks over here and everybody else is a sellout like that that's just a tired just a tired debate Nuance is a four-letter word on on the internet. It's it's like it's not really well appreciated. Nah. It doesn't make for retweet. It doesn't make for retweets. Nah. If you nuance will not get you retweets and likes at the end of the day because that's boring and it's not really easy to just feel good off of a nuanced statement. Whereas a overly broad one like that, that's binary, I think is way easier to get um, engagement and reassurance off of. A uh, quick cheap plug. Uh, For people who want to know more about the Gary, Indiana, uh, Black National Convention, uh, for patrons, we have a a patron-only episode about the movie Nation Time and a discussion of it afterwards for people who want to know more where we talked about that on on the show. But yeah, it's a really interesting concept that I didn't even know about myself until about two months ago. What, the, the National Black Convention? Yep, yep. I've only just learned about that myself a few months ago. We did an episode about about it but like you said a lot of the same conversations and topics and debates about like integration wasn't the foregone conclusion that a lot of these people like to picture uh black people back then you know thought it was they, it, they didn't think that at all and even people that people would be surprised by like people like jesse jackson had you know very very radical a lot of them had very very radical ideas about the limits of integration and what the realistic expectations people could have off of them off of them were but yeah the revisionism is very yeah very interesting. yeah i i I get tired of it because, again, it's disrespectful to our ancestors to when we do that. Like, I can deal with some of the BS that we do to each other today, at least it's contemporary, but I really, it, it more so pisses me off when I hear people say stuff like some of the things you listed. I mean, even the Black Wall Street thing is funny because, like, that was, what, 1921? Well, nobody integrated in 1921, so I don't even know what they're talking about. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, the, the gap between Black Wall Street and the Civil Rights Generation, yeah. it wasn't even, like, that even happened at the same at the same time. You would have to think that Black Wall Street was happening into, like, the 50s and 60s, and it was 
it was not. Yeah, like that. And we did an episode. I'm sure we, y'all talked to Dr. CBS, so you know some of the same information. Like, you know, we talked about the first one we had her and Dr. Ball on, particularly like the whole way that, uh, you know, the counterintelligence program that we come to know as Coincel Pro, but existed, you know, previous in regards to how it, it repressed the left and, and the black left and communism and all of that. So there were, there's a whole generation of black radicals that got wiped off the map before we even get to the civil rights movement. The boys had to go to another country. Like there's a whole group of people that we don't even hear about by the time we get there because they've been wiped off because America criminalized anybody that even remotely associated themselves with those ideas. So if you want to have a conversation about how the civil rights movement was watered down or whatever, then you should start there. Like, right. Like you should, again, study the true history. But if it's just going to be Black Wall Street that occurs 40 years almost before the even mainstream narrative of the, black, of the civil rights movement starts, like, you're, you're, again, you're just not you're not studying like 1921 is it is at the height of race riots and is it's at the height of what we you know, of race, of, of violence, of overtly violent, uh, you know, white supremacy, like just vigilantes out here doing whatever they want to do. Um, the res- that's a different time period than even in the 60s. The 60s was bad, but it still wasn't that. But again, that would require you to study. <laughs> so, like, I don't think a lot of these people are really interested in that. Like, I just, I don't know what else to say. And I don't think that that's most black people, but I think the people that we're talking about, I just don't think they're interested in studying. I, I, I yeah. I, I think, too, I think a lot of those um, people, right, and then after this uh statement I actually want to get into like the details of your guys podcast and actual episodes that that you've done um one thing i kind of notice about a lot of people that i think they do is i think there's one type of person who their idea of coping with white supremacy is to kind of uh surrender to it but in different ways where it's like um you know let's just preach uh integration let's preach getting a seat at the table getting black spaces and high spaces and i think that episode you guys had with dr cbs about um you know it wasn't titled the black bourgeoisie but the it was basically that cons- was it the talent is it was yeah that's what that's what it was i couldn't remember the exact name but i think that one kind of talked about you know a lot of that where the people's like um you know the best way uh, to advance is to play the game and get good at playing the game and everything and i think that's kind of the kind of uh, surrender crowd and that's one way of giving up and it's more obvious but I think there are some people who their way of giving up is to act like they're not giving up and to talk real radical and to talk really um, anti-assimilation and anti-integration and and pro-black but the pro-blackness is so over the top and unsustainable that it's really a way to give up in disguise because we will end up arguing and talking and posturing all day long, but it feels like you're doing something because you're talking. And where I really saw this was on the app Clubhouse. I don't know if you guys know what the app Clubhouse is or uh, if you've ever seen it. Oh, sorry, no, that? I said, unfortunately, I do. But thankfully, I have an Android, so I can't participate. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, on that thing, when I first got on it, and, uh, you know, Jared Ball occasionally has even done stuff on it. And, you know, he'll do like a one or two hour thing about the myth of black buying power and then just talk about it and be in and be out. And I did like one or two little panels on it and on 
clubhouse and it'll be like one or two hours and then I would be out. But what kind of turned me off to it as a positive force is the reality of what it became in the norm was 14, 16, 18 hour quote unquote debates about um, the same topic day after day. And there was one, I swear it was three days straight, like, like literally three days. Every time I popped in to Clubhouse, this thing was going on. And to give an example of the kind of topics, it'll be like, are biracial people really black? Uh, are <laughs> Are are uh, is hip hop destroying the black community? Um, diaspora wars. Who gets reparations? And it's like I don't care what the topic is. Nothing needs to be a twenty four hour argument with a hundred people. There's nothing being uh solved with a hundred person, uh, forty eight hours straight argument. And when you go into the rooms out of morbid curiosity, it's just people screaming at each other, cutting each other off, doing the same type of uh, platitudes or talking points talking about we had all our own businesses the white man created the one drop rule like the same things you hear over and over again and i started realizing this is no different than giving up because you know it's not going to solve anything but feels like the opposite of giving up because you're arguing about the shit something even more unconstructive and yeah. time consuming yeah at least with twitter you can leave your phone and come back and hit the re replies. But with Clubhouse, you're actively, and you can multitask. With Clubhouse, you actually have to be on the shit, uh, talking and giving your undivided attention. So it's like even more time consuming and less less constructive. I'm like, people, I, I was thinking, people are going to be losing their jobs on this thing. You know? Yeah. Like, Go ahead, Ryan. Uh, no, I was just saying, it has to. You have to be losing your uh, your jobs over these things. That's I'm just kind of just flabbergasted about this because I knew. Of Clubhouse, but I didn't know like the that part. Yeah, of it. I, I've seen the I see the screenshots online, and most of the people I follow don't have a high opinion of Clubhouse, so I admit my bias because uh, I I rarely see anything that's good on there. I'm sure there are good things. I've just not been introduced to them. Other than here and there, I'll see a decent conversation. But to your point about surrender, I think that's a that's a good point as far as there are people that talking a I think the second point you raised like it's easy to go in on the, the kind of a simulationist types um but you know these the folks who talk big and bad but don't fucking read um <laughs> like I just I don't I don't have much I don't have much love for that and again this is not a knock on black people don't read or not nah, I'm just talking about these particular types who love to make uh, the most hyperbolic statements but cannot back them up with any real study and I, I, this is where I would admit my own conspiracy theory. I don't think that that's, we were talking earlier about the groups and the the online movements and stuff. I don't think that's an accident. I think that's some, I, I can't prove this. I admit that I don't have any direct evidence for this. I mean, there are things I could pull from. I could kind of show, probably demonstrate this, but I think that there is something to be said about these provocateurs that exist out here. I don't think that that's an accident. Um, it, it, it all, cause it deregulates the conversation, oh, yeah. uh, not deregulate, derails the conversation, excuse me. It derails the conversation into some BS where we're debating about, like you said, whether light skinned people are black or who deserves reparations. Like we don't even understand the policy of it. Like, I don't think that's an accident. I, I, I think some of it is a consequence of just social media and capitalism, but I don't think that that is solely just um an incidental thing i think that that 
is some some there are buttons being pushed somewhere. I I do believe that even if I can't prove it. I think so, I believe that. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was like, I 100% believe that because too many of them are too free and emboldened to say certain things. Too many of them have a lot of support. And I don't think it's just coming from their audience because they're getting way too much traction and they're getting a lot of coverage, you know? I, I want to add too, I think uh, some of the conversations are ultimately pointless, even from the conception stage. Some of them, and I want to make sure people understand this before we get like um, emails about it. Some of them, I think, are useful topics but it's an unconstructive discussion of a yeah. useful topic so for with the reparations thing it is good to nail down who gets them and what and what the criteria is but once you say i think this is who should get it no i think this is who should get it okay here's my reasoning okay here's your reasoning can we come to a common ground no okay that should be the end of it like 18 24 hours of you guys just repeating the same things at each other it's like okay you don't need 18 20 hours to uh talk about what you already got on the table in the first hour i'm sorry you were saying peter i was i'm sorry did not mean to cut you off but i was just thinking like we also can't confuse strategic conversation with entertainment yeah yeah like the people who are on Clubhouse and even Twitter, you know, look at what work do they put out? Like, what what are they actually producing? What do they do with their day-to-day lives, right? And if you talk to a lot of them, they're not doing much of anything in line with what they talk about, ever. Yes. And so, t- so what they're there for is not to build and create a movement and be actually strategic. Spectacle. What they're there for is to be entertained and to be entertainment. Yes, yes. It's spectacle. Producing it and uh, consuming it. And I'll even add an extra level to what Two Black said is one problem is just people who do all this spectacle all day long without you know without reading but i'll add something else there's some people who want to read but have no type of um action or constructive strategizing so and i think that's even more dangerous because the reading feels like you're doing something you know so it's like i see some people who just do reading and book clubs all day but when you try to talk about okay what's some kind of good you know policies or or things you could support. It's like, oh man, that's a, that's just a waste of time. You could waste your time doing all that stuff, but that's the white man system. Yeah, it's not, uh, there's nothing to gain from engaging in in yeah. any of it. I, so I just yeah, don't keep reading yeah. and say I'm smarter yeah, than everyone else. I, I agree. That's the problem too. Um, where I mean, you have I, I think I, I think a hood communist tweeted out a few months ago, join organization. And for some reason, I thought that that should just have been a tweet that you like and keep scrolling but i guess it pissed off like a bunch of people on the internet on, on twitter particularly and, and it was like a bunch of folks arguing they didn't have to join one and all but i think that's that's a key element like join something you know like i mean same thing happened with q with q anthony aka andre domis he tweeted something similar about you could talk theory all day but you gotta have some kind mm-hmm. of actionable plan that can reach the people on the ground and that became like a two-day uh argument like hood comments yeah I, I don't understand why that i mean at some point if if you're reading you have to, you have to almost feel selfish to know so much and to not do anything with it i honestly like i don't even understand <laughs> like to know so many different theories and ways that the world works then it's just a hobby at that point like you're not actually interested in 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 changing or transforming the world, um, or or you've read yourself into such dystopia that you don't actually believe the world could be changed. That's why some people recommend like if you're gonna do a reading group or a book club or a study group or you know uh, whatever, like the the most effective versions of that are are those of us who are really trying to grapple with certain ideas 
and understand how that works in the lives that we're living, right? And, and with the people we're trying to help, like as opposed to it just being a solely a intellectual exercise, right? Like I'm all for that, you know, sometimes just intellectualizing about things just to understand stuff, but like it should ultimately grapple, help you grapple with the things on the ground. But if you're not engaged in any other form of work, then, you know, like it, 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 it doesn't mean well, anything a- to you, you know? It's what it's just a well-oiled ego, you know. <laughs> that's really all that's about. And I learned that when I was working in community organizing. And then you'll find these people who that would get hired by these organizations that are fresh out of college, and their whole thing would be like we're talking about actual actual strategic actions, and they're quoting us the new Jim Crow. <laughs> and I'm just like, well, that's not what we're here for. And then they talk down to people who haven't read as much as them. And in community organizing, if you're a real organizer, most of the community residents have not read half that shit because they got other things. And to still do. might know that shit so, better than you. Um, that's the irony. <laughs> And still, <laughs> that's the craziest part, right? Like, they'll know it like the back of their hands without knowing the names of the theories or the proper terms of the, your little academic jargon. But they know what incarceration feels like because they've had to deal with it for three generations, right? So when I would, you know, talk to a lot of these people, the whole point wasn't to actually do any work in the community. It was to make themselves feel like they were doing something without having to do anything at all. Yeah, no, I, I've definitely encountered that where it's just like, I mean, I, we we talked about that a little bit on the on the the myth of black uh, water down, or excuse me, the myth of trickle down blackness. We talked about how the sentiment of just not having any concept of organization or people just being against it. And I think a lot of this stuff, organization isn't some like religion either, where you just join one and everything is fine. But if you're part of something that's not just you, you're also accountable to something. You're not allowed to just bullshit. If like that person came in, whoever you're discussing, or, or even if this is a group of different types of people, those people came in your organization, and I think part of their problem was they had to be accountable to something other than themselves. And 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 there's something to be said about the fact that people don't want to be accountable to anything other than themselves. When you sign up for an organization, no matter how flawed it is, no matter how the trash the bylaws might be, it could be it can have all the problems under the sun, but it's something to hold you to and it's something that you can work on. And that's something I didn't I admittedly didn't always even understand myself, you know, because being in Indiana, we don't have some of the best organizations. And I would be like, all right, this is on bullshit or whatever. And some of it was, but there, this is all imperfect. And there's something to be said about building with people, even if I don't even agree with them half the time. Like, there's, I'm, I have to think about things beyond myself and my own worldview. And I think that that's, it's, it's not promoted. Mm-hmm. That's why something like join an organization or do something besides read theory is so controversial because it's just, it's not common. And the, th- and the people we've been talking about, the black folks of the past, whether we, you know, even the so-called Uncle Toms that these folks want to claim wanted to be around white folks, they at least was in organizations, right? Like they at least wanted to um, bring a group of, yeah. They had a yeah. strategy. So, so we can disagree with those strategies or we can find flaws in them or, or just learn from them and do better. But they were involved in things um, in our Malcolm X episode. Ep- Excuse me, Malcolm X episode, I, I made sure we highlighted that Malcolm X wasn't just a, a speech writer or, or a speech. He wasn't just giving speeches like this man was an organizer. This man went around in alleys and recruited people who were on drugs and, and, and helped rehabilitate them. Like this is stuff that we've done. Um, and I think when we get caught up in this idea of like, well, I don't I don't have to be accountable to anything but myself or I'm an individual 
or, you know, like there's a, I think there's just an overemphasis on individual freedom across the board as well. Like I, I don't care for it. How, like even in how it pops up and like self-care and, you know, healing and all, oh, all of that stuff is very deeply individualistic. All right, y'all. So that is the end of part one. Go to, again, patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks or click the link in the show notes to get part two. Be good. <laughs> <laughs>